As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, we return to Gideon Falls for the first time to ask that musical question, will I remember the title of the book this time? Plus, Stephen gave us 10 bucks and told us to see a Star War. Something's in the closet. Little monsters are in the wild. Rodrigo knows exactly where to find a bezoar and a meteor shower of pop culture goodness. The odds of navigating which were approximately 3,720 to 1, but never tell us the odds. We're going to save you from Lando's treachery as the major spoilers podcast is on the Cloud City of Bespin and the air. Welcome to issue 979 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. Let's just get right into some news and talk about a Star War. Star Wars Celebration was going on this weekend with a lot of announcements, a lot of trailers uh, being uh, poured all over the internet for people to uh, check out. Uh, I have tasked each of us to go in and uh, filter through all of the big announcements and find uh, stories that might be of interest for us to discuss. And I want to start out with The Mandalorian. New Mandalorian uh, season coming our way. Uh, some uh, stuff was uh, shown off at the show uh, where we get to see a man, the Mando fighting some uh, other Mandalorian warriors. We also get to see him and Grogu going to Mandalore, where uh, if you remember from the last season, he had to go and check out the uh, living waters beneath the mines on the planet to restore himself. Also, it looks like um, Katie Sackhoff, who plays uh, Bo-Katan, is going to uh, be more uh, involved in the series, obviously, because uh in the animated series, her character was set up to be kind of the overall leader of that. Uh, I'm also very curious to see if we're ever, ever going to see, um, uh, you know, the uh, guy from Breaking Bad show back up and and do anything with uh, with his character or not. So uh, we've got that coming on. Does look like, though. Uh, so that's Mandalorian. That's coming out. Does look like, though, we're not going to get a second season of Boba Fett. It's probably for the better. And let's see, there's a bunch of uh, live action uh, other shows that are in the, in the works. Uh, we got to see a sneak peek of Ahsoka. Uh, we also got to see, uh, what is it, uh, announce the skeleton crew. And there's like one other one that, uh, that, they, that they tease that is coming up. And then finally, no word on, uh, yeah, no, I think that's it. Uh, I was going to say, is there no word on Boba Fett? But uh, it appears that we're not going to get any more Boba Fett. So that's kind of the TV side for now. 
of uh, Disney's Star Wars stuff. What do you guys think? Are you guys interested in more Mandalorian? Uh, are you wanting to see more CGI Luke Skywalker? Are we all up for some uh, Katie Sackhoff and, and Ahsoka running around in, in the Disney Plus? I am 100% up for more CGI Luke Skywalker. Um, I really enjoyed the second season of Mandalorian and the the second point five season of Mandalorian that was kind of stuck in the midst of uh oh yeah Boba Fett. Boba yeah. Fett. Yeah. Uh, I'm so annoyed by that. I like I'm like I don't want to watch this Boba Fett show, but now I have to because like Grogu is in it. Well I mean have to. It's you know it's one of those things where I enjoy that sort of storytelling because that really feels like old school comics. It feels like something inexplicable sure. happens where the Avengers are out of town. And this episode is all about uh, the black Knight and Wolverine. I, I really like that. And I feel like the dynamic of that show has really put spotlights on as much as it's focused on Grogu, the non Jedi parts of, sure. you know, Tatooine and the star Wars and, while I feel like there is kind of a narrowness of scope in that we we spent most of both series on Luke Skywalker's hometown within spitting distance of everything where it started, it also feels really new. It feels like something that, and again, I'm sure somebody's yelling right now, this is just like a book from the expanded universe that they negated in 2016, but it feels new. It feels fresh. It feels different than what we've gotten from the Star Wars films. To well, and that's sure. one of the things that Kathleen Kennedy mentioned in, I think it was a Variety article uh, a couple of weeks ago before Obi-Wan Kenobi premiered, that they really feel like they're done with the Skywalker saga right as soon as the premiere of Obi-Wan Kenobi takes place. We're done with the Skywalker so, uh, saga. Um, but But they've kind of really figured out that maybe we should focus on other... Um, other stories outside of, of the Skywalkers. That's why we have Mandalorian. That's why we're going to have Skeleton Crew. That's why we're going to have um, oh, Andor. Andor. That's the other one that I was thinking of that they showed. Yeah. Uh, and and Ahsoka and those. So those. Well, Ahsoka still kind of very much part of the Skywalker saga in my my mind, just because of her relationship with Anakin. But I do kind of like yeah. I do like the world of Star Wars. Remember, um, years ago, there was a, the talk that they were going to go down into the lower levels of um, uh, now I forgot the name of the capital planet. Um, and Coruscant. Until, yeah, Coruscant, where they were going to tell stories from the lower levels of Coruscant. That was going to be the whole the whole thing. And mm. I'm hoping that we do get to see more stories inside uh, the Star Wars universe. But uh, I, I guess my next question, we've kind of looked at the, the TV side. What's what's going on on the movie side, Rodrigo? Yeah, um, nothing or what? rather it's not nothing. It's that they didn't talk about it pretty much at all, which is surprising. Right. Um, this is something that, again, uh, Variety pointed out Um they're talking about uh, Ahsoka and Andor and all of these other things, all of these shows that are just coming out or, or going to come out over the next couple of years. Uh, and they did not talk at all about any major Star Wars films, um, any follow up to the um, the Rise of Skywalker or anything else. Right. Um, there is something supposed to be coming out in 2023 and it's kind of amazing that midway through 2022 we still don't know what it is yeah uh, i especially mean not officially. When, it's, 
especially when it's supposed to be Taika Waititi's uh, Star Wars in 2023 and nothing right. has been done yet because he's too busy doing pirate stuff. Right. And or, and, or other any, space, and, and other and, space and lots of other stuff, stuff right? He, yeah, 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 he did uh he did Thor as well. Mm-hmm. Although that that wrapped up production a long time ago, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, so how when is that going to come out? And that was going to be Patty Jenkins. Um yes, mm-hmm. with uh, Rogue movie. Squadron. Yeah. Right, yeah. but that got pushed back because Patty Jenkins is uh doing uh, another Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, so they slotted in Taika Waititi, but we also haven't heard anything about that. And what um, about the Ryan uh, Johnson stuff? Wasn't he supposed to also be doing right? something else? Ryan I Johnson. They said that his he, he was supposed to do a trilogy, which has now yeah. been shelved. I don't know if it's been shelved. Um, I think last I heard there was a well. Okay, so it probably has been shelved. But it, they don't want to say it mm-hmm. um, because I think last last I had checked, they were like, "Yes, yes, we are both both Disney and Ryan Johnson very committed to this trilogy that is definitely going to be a thing." So um, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear an announcement later that's just like, oh, "That thing that's not happening." Okay, thanks. Yeah, um, didn't, wasn't didn't uh, Lord and Taylor? Or Lord and Lord, Lord and the Miller. guys, yeah, Lord yeah. Didn't Miller. they have something that was supposed to be? Yeah, they're like also their supposed own to be doing something uh, with that as well. But I don't know if that's movie side or if that's TV side. And then, and then on top of it, you have you know people being like, uh, "Isn't Kevin Feige working on something?" I don't think he's Star working. Wars? I don't think he's working anything in Star Wars because I think he's pretty committed yeah. to to Marvel. So they're saying no, um, but. And he secretly uh, yeah, does. It, it's hard to it's, it's hard to tell if like rumors like that are like oh yeah some information has leaked and they are looking at something or if it's just like this like burning searing wish of like Star Wars fans who are like please <laughs> please have the architect of the MCU move over yeah. to Star Wars and, and so I can we see can that. get ours. Yeah. So here's the th- here's one thing that I'll say about um about Kathleen Kennedy. I have no problem with Kathleen Kennedy. Many people don't realize that the best Star Wars movies, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, are Kathleen Kennedy produced films. She is sure. the one that's guiding everything. And, you know, once Lucas uh, sold and everyone's like, oh, well, they're leaving Kathleen Kennedy in charge. So everything is going downhill from there. No, she's actually the one that has heralded in all of the great uh, Lucasfilm stuff. So I have no problem with what uh, she has done over the years. And I think that. People are not giving her a credit where credit is due. That being said, she said some very strange things over the last couple of weeks that have me scratching my head, uh, specifically vis-a-vis uh, the Han Solo movie in which she says, yeah, we've really figured out that uh, with the Han Solo movie, we just can't cast new actors uh, in existing roles. Oh, by the way, everyone, don't forget to go check out Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney right. Plus this week. And uh, don't forget Hayden Christensen uh, taking on the role of, of Darth Vader, you know, played by, uh, uh, voiced by the great uh, James Earl right. Jones. Uh, right. But yeah, we've learned that we just can't place new actors in existing roles, which yeah. is just, just totally weird kind of statement to make. Yeah, such it depends a... on how you look at it, though, because those examples are both of, uh, at least in the case of David Prowse, who embodied Darth Vader and didn't voice him. Those are both guys who are dead. So? I mean, they... Well, you can't bring back guys who are dead. Her statement was, what? we just can't place new actors 
into these pre-existing roles. But I, I understand what you're saying, but you're also being an absolutist when, if you say we're going to do this story with, uh, we're bringing back the guy that we put in 25 years ago as the new Ben Kenobi, because Ben Kenobi died, you are technically bringing back one of the classic characters with its original quote unquote original actor or the character who last embodied him after the death of Alec Guinness. So again, I, I don't necessarily see hypocrisy there. So oh, I didn't say hypocrisy. I'm just saying phrased, that is a, you know? it is a statement that is really poorly phrased and was not really thought out in the way that it came out and where you could literally go and look and say, Oh, that guy who's now playing uh, uh, Chewbacca. Oh yeah. Uh, Peter Mayhew was still alive when, uh, when that last time Chewbacca was on screen. Uh, but no, they've got somebody else playing, playing Chewbacca. So it's, it's just kind of like they, they don't want to admit that Han Solo was poorly received, not because of the actor that was playing Han Solo in that uh, solo film, but rather they had three stories that needed to be one story. And yeah, that's what, that's what hurt that it, movie. It's, it's interesting that that's the, the, the lesson that they got from solo. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, Obviously, I, I think I think Stephen, you definitely have a point. Like, I think that clearly there is a way to do it in in a way that people will accept, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, I think it's it's kind of sad. I feel bad for uh, what's the what's the Hector's uh, name? Alden 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 Ehrenreich. I think. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Ehrenreich. Ehrenreich. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I think I think it's Ehrenreich. Um, I feel bad because they're basically like just kind of throwing this on him and maybe Donald mm -hmm. Glover too. Yeah, and it's like uh, I don't know. I like so. Listen, yeah. had the stories been had the story been a little bit more cohesive, I thought all of those actors were just fine in the roles that they were inhabiting. You know, I if, mean, if James Bond can have thirteen different actors play James Bond. Sure then you can have a couple of different actors playing Lando and Han Solo. But as I think Matthew pointed out earlier, you know, or uh, Rodrigo in, in the pre-show, when you don't care so much about where the origin of Lando's cape or his, uh, sure. his sparkly yeah. dice are, and you focus on character and story, then you got something there. So that's, yeah. that's my argument is that Solo failed because they couldn't get a cohesive story. Uh, we've danced around it, Matthew. Uh, what's going mm -hmm. on with the Obi-Wan Kenobi show? I, I forget which, uh, director. He's kind of a, kind of a nice guy, uh, went on Twitter today going, you know, they really ought to be careful, uh, calling this Obi-Wan. It really implies that there's going to be an Obi-2, uh, show. <laughs> That's just messed up. <laughs> um, well, the Obi-Wan Kenobi show has, as you know, you mentioned, brought back the quote unquote, new versions of uh, Anakin Skywalker and uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Something. Uh, who's the main character of Obi-Wan Kenobi? Uh, ben. Ben. Yeah, that's his name. So yeah. you've got your, your new versions of Anakin and Ben, but the thing that was most interesting to me was the discussion that Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen had about the changing place of the prequel movies in the fans mm -hmm. look at it so mm -hmm. yeah um you know we look at this and i sat and i watched the first episode of obi-wan 
And the the I love the fact that episode one had a previously on that was literally a good yes. five minutes yeah. and se- it literally summarized the prequel trilogy. Yeah. I mean, it was literally cut together. Here's baby. Here's the thing. Oh, oh, you're supposed to bring ballast to the force. Oh, no. Qui-Gon's dead. Oh, now Obi-Wan's doing this. And it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And it really felt like I'm stepping into the beginning of season three of this show. And I also felt like not just the fans, but even to some degree, I feel like the company is putting more emphasis on those stories as quote unquote canonical. Cause you do get to a point where it felt like those movies were kind of crapped on and thrown aside. It's oh, they're terrible and they're bad and they're awful. And then we get the new sequel, you know, the seven, eight, nine, the force awakens, the force turns off the alarm clock and then the force goes and takes a nice clean shower. You get those three movies for people to complain about. And suddenly somehow those previous movies from the year 2000 through 2005 are better. And well, people so are willing to accept that. Let's, it's, let's take a look so between the, between the original three, four and five and one, two and three. How many years were in between those two? Well, let's see. 1983 was Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. 1999? Yeah, so how many years would have is that? been 16. Okay, so uh, let's just say, Matthew, you were 16 in 83. You were 13 in 1983. How old are you? I was 13 in 1983. How old were you in uh, 1996 or whenever the... 1999, I would have been 29 years old. Okay, so you were almost double the age you were, over double the age you were, <laughs> when that when that came out. Now, between mm-hmm. 1, 2, and 3, between 3 and 7, how many years had passed? So 7 came out in, what, 2016? Something like that, yeah. It's, it's really not important. Years. Just spitball it, spitball it. 16 years. 16 years, another 16 to 20 years in between. Wonder what could have happened in between those 20 years. Could it be that the target audience for each of those films grew up and outgrew the target audience for the next group of films? That may be it because I have noticed that Matthews and I generation mm-hmm. grew up with the original trilogy. And when the prequels came out, generally the Gen Xers panned it. Now I, I appreciate the first three movies for what they are. And I really enjoy them. But when we look at the uh, generation, like Zach, for example, uh, his age group, and maybe Rodrigo, I don't know where you fall in this, but you know, Zach was at an age six, seven, eight years old. When mm-hmm. those first three films, uh, one, two, and three came out He's maybe a little older, 10. Um, but he was the target demographic for everything to follow that. Sure. And so th- those group of kids love Jar Jar, love pod racing, love seeing Anakin turn to the dark side. That's their trilogy of Star Wars. So then when we jump to seven, eight, nine, suddenly they're now old enough to go, I don't know about this seven, eight, nine. I remember one, two, and three being really good. That's my stuff. All this other mm-hmm. stuff is really bad. But someone like my kids, who were prime target audience for seven, eight, nine, they love seven, eight, nine. So we're looking at different target groups of that generation. So I don't know if that was discussed, Matthew, maybe, you know, in that, uh, chat, chat with you and McGregor and, and, uh, and jumper. If, uh, if Mm -hmm. they, um, talked about the fact that there was a, the target group grew up and, and now they're the ones that have the voicing can go out and, 
and proclaim how great one, two, and three were. They really did, but I think that you know you have to remember. Uh, and he's actually come out and said Jake Lloyd, who oh, played yeah, yeah. Baby Anakin, mm-hmm. has yeah. said Star Wars ruined his life. Yeah. Uh, and Hayden Christensen, who is not—I mean, he's barely forty years old. Hayden Christensen has become, in a lot of places, a recurring you know gag. Mm-hmm. When you're a Family Guy joke, you're at the point where. You know, in the pop culture zeitgeist, you're considered kind of silly. So I feel like Hayden Christensen may have had this whole thing kind of blow up his life. And he's like, man, I'm just happy to be back. I'm glad that the fans are, you know, accepting what this Anakin was. But I feel like when it comes to um, uh, Ewan McGregor, who, by the way, you know, his uncle was Wedge in the original trilogy. So he apparently grew up as a fan of the original trilogy. McGregor is a little bit older and he he did kind of mention that. And he was like, you know, I'm part of that older generation. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's also 51 years old and he just makes me feel like I'm going to crumble away. But that's just me. That's not, you know, anything to do with this. But for me, I always find it fascinating that you get kind of these two almost reverse responses. They're like polar opposites. And one of them is the newest version of whatever is the best ever. You know, the Daniel Craig James Bond is the best James Bond you'll ever have. Or we had people telling us for years that Christopher Nolan's Batman was the greatest Batman that ever lived. And then all of a sudden there was a new Batman and people are like, oh, well, this new Batman is the greatest Batman that ever lived. Whereas you also have the people who whatever is the newest is the worst. They hate it. It's not right. Something They've gotten something terribly, horribly wrong. Into so each I generation, like, a new Star Wars will be born. Right. Mm-hmm. And death shall reign from the skies. But yeah. those, two, those two polar groups, you know, they're the loud ones. But I feel like as someone who loved the original Star Wars, who had, you know, I got to be one of them Luke Skywalker action figures, the 12-inch ones that had the little thing and you could, and he had his uh, little grappling hook. I got one of those. I did not hate the second three movies. And my child refuses to let me say the first three movies because they didn't come first. So the, the, the second trilogy, the one, two, and three, those movies are fine to me. They're perfectly fine. I feel like Ewan McGregor's rat tail is ridiculous, but that doesn't sink the movie. I feel like there are a lot of moments that I really would have wanted to see expanded upon, but I also go back and I watch A New Hope, and I watch The Empire Strikes Back, and I realize so much of the lore and things that I love isn't in the film. Yep. The things where we're watching that, and I'm like, see that guy? That's Wedge. Yeah. And they're they're like, well, what's a wedge? I'm like, wedge is the guy who's awesome. He survives all three of these movies and goes off to have his own books and comic books, and those are great. Sure, and that's why I that's why I enjoy the literally two minutes of wedge in the first three movies of the trilogy. So it really does kind of beg the question of how much of this hatred or dislike or you know disdain hmm. for Hayden Christensen's Vader. I hate yeah. Sam. You know, that's not, not the best line, not the best delivery. Fine. But does it sink the movie? I don't feel it does. No. I remember sitting in the comic shop and hearing people talk about Revenge of the Sith. 
and how stupid it was that they didn't get the original guy to voice Vader's big no. And I'm like, that was James Earl Jones, you guys. And they're like, no, that was that couldn't have been James Earl Jones. I'm like, that was literally James Earl Jones. He was doing interviews saying, I'm coming back and I'm going to voice Darth Vader again. Mm-hmm. And literally pretty much all he said was, where is Padme? <gasps> no! But somehow my peers and, you know, people in the store were convinced that because they didn't like it, it couldn't have been the same guy. And I feel like it's just fascinating to see these poor actors who've been at the brunt of this discussing, you know, what it means to them to come back and have people embrace it for what may be the first time. Yeah. Well, uh, Rodrigo, uh, certainly hate towards characters in the Star Wars films and TV shows is... Seems to be a growing racist issue. Uh, yeah, definitely. If you wanna, if you wanna see the latest on that, um, you can find uh, talk from. Oh, I, I had her name, but I forgot the, the Moses uh, Moses Ingram. Yeah, yeah, Moses Inquisitor Moses Ingram, Ruba. who plays the the Inquisitor in uh in the Obi Wan series, who is already just getting absolutely bombarded with racism, but, um. At the very least, the Star Wars as a franchise seems to be defending her, which they they did that with do with they they uh, kind of did with Rose. Maybe in the first salvo, they were kind of like, we don't know what yeah. to do with this. But right. then, you know, after the first two or three weeks, they were like, no, 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 we we agree that you shouldn't be doing this to to yeah. to Rose Tico. Yeah. So, um, and then of course, uh, John Boyega got the same, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, level of, of nastiness or a or a different level of nastiness. Who knows? Right. But yeah, it's, you know, I, I, it's funny. I, I, I watched the first two episodes of, uh, the Obi-Wan series and I was like, cool, cool, cool. Like all of these characters, cool, radical, awesome. Yeah. Um, and then it didn't occur to me what this young woman had signed up for. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think she's done interviews and she's like, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity. And yeah, I was prepared for this. Um, so well, I'm glad she's oh, prepared for good. it. I'm glad she's prepared for it because I don't really see, I don't, uh, I don't understand I, the reasoning for the hate because she's, mm-hmm. she's a very solid actress in the, yeah. uh, in the, in the two episodes that she's, we've already seen. She's riveting. I think she's pretty bad. Two. I think she's pretty badass as a driven inquisitor who amazing. wants to outshine all the other inquisitors. I mean, she's got, the character has a lot of interesting bits, so I'm not really clear on right. same way with Rose. I don't understand why they were mean to her. I mean, is Kamal uh, Nanjiani, is he getting a lot of hatred? Is he getting a lot of uh, racist vitriol See, cast and his I, way for being I the, the, know the fake I want to know the same about, about Sung Ho Kang, who uh, played uh, right. the fifth brother. Mm-hmm. Because Sung Ho Kang, um, who you may remember as Han from the Fast and the Furious movies, yeah. um, is in there. But he's also, you know, wearing a Under hat. a ton of painted, makeup, yeah. Right. Yeah. He's, he's, got embra- he's got, like, uh, things on, and he's painted a funny color. Uh, the same as uh, whoever is playing the Grand Inquisitor, hmm. who I honestly thought was Draco Malfoy's dad, but <laughs> apparently isn't. No. But yeah, you you have that point where part of it, I feel, is some of it is honestly just flat out racism. Some of it is people who are like, why should she get to kill this cool character that we know from the cartoons that we've, you know, been right. we've had around for 10 years? Yeah, and- it's like... 
is like, hey, hey, Moses Ingram is stupid because it doesn't make sense that this character would do this. And it's like, that's writing, champ. Yeah, that's That's how it goes. That's not like that's she didn't choose that. That's Mm -hmm. writing. That's the Mm -hmm. writers. Yeah. I mean, don't go hassle the writers. Right. No, 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 leave them alone. And more leave everyone alone. I have already seen like multiple explanations of, first of all, I'm not sure that, uh, first of all, what a Grand Inquisitor is, because I don't watch Rebels. Oh, but yeah, more you importantly, need to, Rebels is really good to fill you in on the backstory of that. Basically, they are the, they're, the Jedi, they're the Jedi hunters. Right. They're, they're, they're tasked they're with going and, Jedi and cleaning who, up all the... Yeah. Right, who went dark and murdered Jedi. Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. much, I think, the story told me, but yeah. that character of the Grand Inquisitor... He's the baddest uh, of the ...from the cartoon isn't the same guy in Obi-Wan. I mean, oh, he's no, no, definitely no. wearing the same makeup. Yeah. He's definitely of the same... It's like... When they brought in um, Clint Eastwood Fishface, whose name always escapes me, um, all I can think of is Corey Burton on Calamari. Uh, in when they when they brought him into the Book of Boba Fett, the guy who talks like this and sounds exactly like uh, ba 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 ba. Is it Cad Bane? Oh yeah, yeah. Cad Bane. the gunfighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The gunfighter with the uh, with the fish whiskers. Yeah, that guy. When they brought him in, I was like, oh, okay, so cool they're bringing this in for the fans but i feel like if you bring in this character and you have the new character kind of rob liefeld them to show what a you know a, a badass she is i I'm, I'm down with that that's fine but i feel i also wonder if you know the people who are racist who are claiming that this is the problem are using people who are actually bothered by that as a smokescreen oh saying, absolutely well, you always you know why should this be there and yeah, yeah it's it, you know like uh, appreciating an actor's like talent and, and what they bring to the character is completely subjective. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so much of it is what the actor brings and so much of it is the directing. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are lots of ways to obscure racism as legitimate criticism. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the problem is that it, you then can't, um, can't legitimately legitimately criticize something without uh you know having all of the racists come over and start fighting in the back it's like yeah yeah let's go and like no no don't get away from me don't talk you know it's like yeah uh there's lots of stuff about um for example the last jedi that i didn't like i don't i don't like i didn't like the last jedi um Mm. And I think I think I have legitimate reasons for that, and pretty much none of them involve either of the characters that everybody hates the last Jedi for, you know, <laughs> so it's like it's hard to voice my opinion about the last Jedi because everyone is like, "Yeah, and I can't believe that they had Rose do this and this. that how stupid it's like well, that's not what I'm saying, yeah, you know it's like right. it's hard, oh because yeah. that's how that's how racism works it's yeah. You know, yep. it it like throws on a a very like a, a very poorly put together sheep outfit, mm-hmm. and then just walks out screaming "ba" and like hitting people with sticks or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. That, I'm going to wrap up. Have. I'm going to wrap up our Star Wars discussion by saying this: Deborah Chow, who I was blown away when she directed the two episodes of The Mandalorian from season one. I thought mm-hmm. that those were fantastic episodes, and I think I voiced my my uh, joy for what she did with uh, with those two episodes to see that she is in all six, seven, six episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi, I think is a brilliant move to let her direct the entire thing. And yeah. uh, so far, the two episodes I've seen have been really, really good. Um, 
the only negative criticism I can say uh, that I want to say about the first two is that you really can tell that they're using the vault uh, a lot. And I kind of wish that they would maybe go and do some things outside, really mm-hmm. outside. Uh, that's the only thing I'll say about that. But otherwise, thought it was great. Listeners, what did you think about the Star War? Did you get one over the weekend? You can join the conversation about these stories more over on our Discord. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. And we would love to see you in our growing community of awesome spoilerites. There's a link in the show notes and cat gifts. Maybe everybody will switch over to some Star Wars gifts uh, when you come in this How about week. Star Wars cat? Maybe. We'll see. We'll see what all those crazy kids are up to this week. But meanwhile, we need to get into some reviews. Oh, I was going to say, Rodrigo, what do you got for us? But you got something from a week from now. Uh, let's see. Uh, this week from Image Comics, I took a look at Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen's Little Monsters number four. Knew nothing about the series except I was like, okay, uh, this looks interesting. The art looks interesting. I like Dustin Nguyen's art. Um, and it is the story. It is, I guess, a post-apocalyptic story about where basically all the, not all the humans, but most of the human population is uh, been obliterated. Don't know why. Haven't read the first three issues. And if most of the human population has been decimated, what happens to all the vampires? What happens to all the vampires who were turned when they were little children's? And you got all these little children vampires running around. What happens then? What are you going to do then? Well, we're going to find out that story in The Little Monsters number four. In this one, the the young uh, monsters... Uh, find some human habitations that they haven't they haven't eaten or fed for a very long time. So they're trying to maintain their control as opposed to just going completely berserk and killing every human that they see, although that's going to happen, I'm sure. Uh, so I find this very interesting thing where it's really starting to build up to be uh, not quite Lord of the Flies, but it's starting to build that where you see some of the characters that are just like, uh, should we really be doing this? Should we really just go on a berserker rampage and kill everybody in this uh, in this camp? Or do we have some humanity and, and we spare some of these people? So it's really kind of a little interesting discussion. Uh, the thing that hooked me and what might get me to go back and read the other three are these twins that in the 1920s uh, were turned into vampires and they're still alive now. Uh, and to see what happens on their adventure in this issue, I found very, very fascinating. One thing I will say as kind of a little detriment maybe to this issue and maybe also to its uh, to its benefit. It reads incredibly quickly. This is 32 pages of comics. But I read this in like five minutes and I was like, wait, this is it. This felt like I only got eight pages of story. And it's like, no, there's a full 32 pages. There's just a lot of stuff going on. That makes it feel like it's going very, very fast. Uh, So Jeff Lemire is somebody who can write very fascinating stories that I find to be very interesting. Uh, In fact, I believe uh, later on in this episode, we'll be looking at another Jeff Lemire book. Uh, And so, you know, he has the ability to weave some very interesting tales. And then when you pair that with the wonderful art of Dustin Nguyen, great stuff all around. Uh, I just wish it didn't feel like it read so quickly. Uh, Overall, a lot of fun. Go pick it up this week. Little Monsters number four from Image Comics. I'm giving it four slices of meatloaf out of five. Matthew, what do you got for us this week? Oh, another Image Comics, it looks like. Another Image Comic, The Closet, number one, written by James Tiny Onion, the fourth, and uh, art by Gavin Fullerton. And uh, by the way, I didn't make that joke. That's actually the name of the production company, Tiny Onion. So I don't know how to pronounce uh, Tiny Onion. Tiny Onion. Okay. 
James Tynan, the fourth, or IV. It may be IV. Um, you just take him straight into your veins. But um, I picked this up not knowing what it was and thinking I was reviewing something else this week and immediately just went, whoa, what in the world have I set myself up for? Um, interesting. Tom Napolitano, who is a name that I know from lettering, I don't know, two-thirds of everything, it feels like the entire comics industry is lettered by maybe six people. And Napolitano's name is one that I hear over and over and over, is doing a much looser kind of handwritten style in here. So from the very first page, it feels different. It doesn't feel like a mainstream big two comic-y comic book, but this is just the story of a, a, a young family, a man and his wife who are fighting and unhappy. They are moving and their little, their young son says there's a monster in the closet. So, you know, we start out with the dad clearly avoiding everything coming home and the little boy sees, you know, what's in the closet. The door is open. It's the last day in the house. And the dad is trying to tell him, look, look, we're moving. You won't have to worry about that closet ever again. And he tries to trick the boy by pouring water on the floor and saying that it's unicorn pee and that monsters don't like the smell and they'll stay away. And the kid's like, dad, I saw you run it from the, from the tap in the kitchen. But then, as every good monster in the closet story really should, you start to have to ask yourself, is this actually all in the kid's head? And I don't want to spoiler anything because, oh man, you when when a thing happens and a thing happens on screen and then another thing happens and you see a character turn back towards the perspective of the reader um, doing what in a, in a movie would be called spiking the camera. I, I, oh, creep me out. Creepy, 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 creepy. And it ends with one of the most horrifying things I've ever heard said in a horror story. And I've read a lot of them. He's coming too. But this is a beautiful, beautiful book. It is hard to draw a completely mundane life. And it's just like, hey, these people live in an apartment. Okay. And he's bringing home a bag of tape. Okay, this is literally a bag of tape. And he's having a beer that looks like a beer in a bar that looks like a bar. There are two people who look like two people you might know having a fight in their apartment and, you know, having marital troubles and screaming at each other, surrounded by their life in cardboard boxes that look like cardboard boxes. It's really, really well done. And for a story that's trying to scare you, it doesn't go very far beyond what you would see if you were literally, you know, a young couple fighting, you know, your son's sleeping in the other room. You're trying to get your husband to listen to you while you pack boxes. This is really, really lovely to look at. And again, I know Tanyan's name. I know that I've read things that he's written. I don't necessarily go, gosh, this is something where I absolutely want to go out and buy things with his name on them, like maybe I do with a Steve Orlando. But it also doesn't have that feeling of, oh, my God, I never want to read anything with his name on it. Well, you know what? I won't mention any names called JT Cruel. But 
It's a really well-written book. It's an incredibly well-drawn book, Four Slices of Meatloaf. It's not 100% perfect because, as with so many first issues, the breaking point is both awkward and feels like I didn't necessarily get like a full hunk of individual story. But I think this is number one of three. So when, you know, it will be sooner when you get a chance to read all three issues back to back to back and, and see how you feel about it. But four slices of meatloaf, it's a strong kickoff. Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff right now. He's doing a lot of work over at uh, DC with Batman and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, he's he's all. Was he the Batman writer who came after um, Court Snyder? of Owls? Dude. I don't I don't remember. OK. What uh, is his name? Yeah. Greg, Greg Snyder, Ted Snyder, Scott Snyder. And Scott Snyder, thank you. Is that who you're talking about? I couldn't about? remember. I couldn't remember Snyder's first name. I knew it wasn't Tom Snyder. But I, yeah. I if, anyway, if it wasn't Rodrigo, Tom Snyder, uh, please uh, entertain us with word of the future. From the far of future of, of next week of next week. Uh, so I picked up uh, Pushins Inc. Number one from Mad Cave Studios. Um they're also the ones that are putting out that uh, dystopian car comic that I've been reading. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, uh, Potions Inc. number one, uh, written by Eric Burnham. Artist is Stelladia, I think. Uh, that's how it's pronounced. Um, and so, it's the story of a young man, at least so far, uh, that uh, who wants to go off on an adventure... He lives in a magical world, um, but uh, his adventures kind of get cut short. Um, his parents give him a, a good luck charm, and then something happens to the good luck charm, and now he has to uh, basically go on a new adventure to recover it, uh, or to, 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 yeah, let's say recover it. That's probably the easiest way to put it. Um, it's it's okay. <laughs> um, it's not. Uh, it, there's a lot of like very familiar stuff here, which isn't necessarily bad, um, but it, it doesn't feel like it's doing too much with it. That's new. Even kind of the the big twist at the end of uh, where the characters uh, end up is. Something that we've seen and something that we've seen done relatively recently. Um, so I was kind of going in and looking for, you know, who are these characters? Why why do I care that they're going on this adventure? Um, they're all siblings. That's interesting. Uh, the villain is also interesting um, because uh, she's uh, she's just unusual in how she starts up uh, in opposition to the characters. But altogether, uh, the art is okay. Um, it's, it's interesting. There's a, it's a magical world, but you don't actually see a lot of that magic. You don't see anything that looks very different from you know, a, a, any other kind of depictions of like medieval fantasy places. Um, so, I don't know. There just wasn't a lot here to hold my interest. And... Uh, I guess, yeah. If you if you decide to put a bored-looking person on your cover, you better be sure that your game is like that. That your book is like really bringing it, 
Because otherwise, I'll just, you know, kind of flip back to the front and be like, yeah, man, me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so two and a half slices of meatloaf. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's fine. Um, but it just, it really didn't grab me. Um, I'll probably skip number two unless, uh, un- unless, you know, something I-, I hear from somewhere that something really drastic happened, then I might get back into it. But again, nothing wrong with it. Two and a half slices of meatloaf. Perfectly, uh, average kind of, uh, offering. All right. Uh, there you go. Thank you very much, Rodrigo. Thank you, uh, Matthew and dear listener. If you want even more, more reviews, what more could you ask for? Well, you can find it over at majorspoilers.com. Also, um, we want to give a big shout out to, uh, let's see, who are we giving a shout out to this week? Uh, we are giving a shout out to Donald Evans, who's our newest boss. He signed up at the uh, gold level this week at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We want to give you a shout out on the show. All you need to do is join us at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Now, um, we uh, definitely want to hear more of our of our great patrons. But I think what we really want to hear is the spooky world of Gideon Falls. Ooh, the spooky, spooky. Now, years ago, when this uh, series first debuted, Matthew and I reviewed the first issue on the Major Spoilers podcast. And I got a big kick out of it, mainly for the art uh, that we can talk about a little bit later on. But uh, I was also very intrigued by this story, Rodrigo. What, what's, what is the story of Gideon Falls about? Ooh, how to, uh, to to summarize? I guess um, the story of Gideon Falls starts by following um, a couple of people. One, uh, a priest who has been recently sent to a small town, and mm-hmm. the other, a man with a um, you know some sort of like cognitive disability um, who is uh, kind of obsessively going through trash and finding nails and chunks of wood and Mm -hmm. stuff um and kind of ties their story together by the fact that they have both seen an apparition sort of and and that apparition is a a really spooky black barn with like red light coming from inside it and like uh sometimes a real creepy guy poking like peeking out the window with his with his big old teeth and his face and his yeah. smile, yeah, uh, yeah. So we, I I find this super fascinating because I didn't know where this story go, gone to. Uh, I'd really only read one, the first issue of this, and then got sidetracked mm-hmm. by a bunch of other things. But I'm pretty sure Jonathan and Christopher and maybe Matthew have reviewed uh, this series as it continued. And I just remember these guys going, "Man, this is getting weirder and weirder and weirder." And as yeah. you're reading this, it is, you're right. There's a, you know, the, the new preachers in town, he's got a drinking problem. Some people turn up dead. His, uh, not his housekeeper, but one of the sisters of the, not a sister really, but a helper of the parish, uh, winds yeah. up dead and he's the prime suspect. He's like, no, you don't understand. I saw the priest who, who was, you guys said was dead. He's alive. And they're like, uh, until they find the body of the priest. And they're like, Hmm, that's weird. Maybe he is telling the truth. And then he mm-hmm. gets, uh, hooks up with the town, not like hooks up, but he, uh, he and the town sheriff team up uh, there in Gideon Falls and uh, they are trying to solve this mystery. And we start to learn that, you know, her father has gone a little bit on the conspiracy side because there's this myth of this black barn and people disappearing. And turns out her brother 
uh, disappeared at a young age because he saw the black barn and then, then he disappeared and no one has seen him for 20 years, however, how many years it's been. And uh, meanwhile, the story with our, with our person who's having some, some issues, he's convincing, convincing his therapist or his doctor that he's not crazy, that there's nothing wrong with him. And she starts to get into his, excuse me, sneeze, uh, starting to get into his mindset as well. And they start to realize that he's not crazy. There are people that are trying to get to the parts of this, this barn door that he is recreating. And Mm -hmm. by the time we reach the climax of this book, we realize that, oh no, there's something that happened way back in the 1800s, 1860 something, where this crazy scientist built a bridge between worlds and and not just worlds, but dimensions, uh, multiverse stuff, essentially. And uh, something in the in-between got them. It's a, it's a giant cockroach. Is it? It's a, I, I mean, creep. it certainly well, looks it, like a giant it mani- cockroach. It manifests as one. Yeah, it yeah, also yeah, it looks gross. like a guy with a handlebar mustache and also like a creepy puppet guy. Yes. Yeah. The laughing man. Now, am I crazy or is the city where Norton lives also not called Gideon Falls? It is no, also it is. called That's, it is also called okay. Gideon Falls. That's the whole point yeah, that, is that there are yeah. all these Gideon Falls across the multiverse. And as you step in, Something one of them may be still in the and that's the part that I wasn't really a fan of in the storytelling with Jeff Lemire. As we find mm-hmm. out in the last part of the story, as um, the the priest starts jumping between the different dimensions and we get the story of Norton uh, Stillwell or whatever his name is. Uh, the original Norton, not the not the the kid. Uh, he's building this map of the multiverse, and he's like, "Oh, uh, when you go to this world, you're going into the past, and when you're going into this world, you're going into the future." And I kind of don't like the fact that they're kind of implying that it's time travel. As and I would really have a, I really would have liked it better if it was just like this universe developed a little bit differently, and they haven't right. haven't moved past the old west or this one. Uh, you know, accelerated much faster. And that's why we got the steampunk world. And this one is post-apocalyptic. And instead they're yeah. just like, no time travel time uh, runs differently. The closer to the center you get, whatever the center mm-hmm. is. And I wasn't really a huge fan of that, but maybe it has to do with a black hole. We don't know because we don't find out in volume one. <laughs> and that, that and was I the only that, thing about know, the multiverse that I didn't like is they were trying to do time dilation with everything. To be fair, you have some very, very strict rules for a time travel story to work for you. So, yeah, this isn't this isn't a time travel story. This is a multiverse story, right? But I don't necessarily feel like that was a problem for me. So, you know, it, it, again, everybody's opinion is valid, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm also saying that I didn't necessarily, you know, when you get in here, I kind of felt like what they were saying was that the different universes. You're, you know, we're kind of running on different times rather than making it seem like you're actually in 1820 in this world. The universe is just kind of on a different level. I don't know. Again, you know, I, I was very puzzled by the first issue of this book. And I remember being puzzled by about the first six issues and then being puzzled by maybe issue 13. But sitting down to read the, I think it's 16 issues. In this collection, is it six? Yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah, it, I was really surprised. Yeah, yeah. I was first. I thought, oh, this is going to be six issues. That's way too short. And then as we got up to issue twelve, I was like, this is still going. Are we getting this all They're in one going. volume? And yeah, it's like nope. four hundred pages for the yeah. For the yeah, trade. this is a a big deluxe collection of what I think was actually the first three collected trade paperbacks. 
um, because I also read a trade paperback somewhere along the line. But I really feel like this is one of those stories that got more and more complex in mostly good ways as it went along. And now I kind of feel like it's I don't think is it over? I don't think it's over. I think it is ended. Uh, I I do believe it has come to an end. Because I kind of want to know what the end game is, because by the time we get through these 15, 16 issues, it feels like we're still expanding. We're still yep. like exploring yep. the premise and mm-hmm. things actually haven't, you know, yeah, a started bunch to contract. Of, like, a bunch of characters sort of get visually introduced very close to the end. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and they don't go into who they, I mean, we know who they work for, but we don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really does like it feels like um it feels like that part of the last episode of the anime where like the <laughs> the rock and roll music is really kicking on and you're <laughs> right. just seeing characters like standing on top of rooftops that you've never seen before talking to each other and it's like we're going to be important next season guys you better <laughs> you better worry about who we are yeah apparently yeah, so there's 11 there's 11 I was going to say there's 11 more issues after this yep Okay. And it ended in December of 2020, which um, when you say years and years ago, it really does feel like years and years ago. It was apparently mid 2018. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's like years and years. That's just it is years. If, you, years if, every, years if every year is two, it is years and years. But every year is not two. Every five years is years. Oh. A, a two would be like a year or two. Years ish. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, let's uh, let's stick to the topic and not confuse Ma- uh, Matthew on math uh, or, or semi annual dates and time. Annual, annual. <laughs> uh, Rodrigo, I'm very curious what you thought of of how this story developed and played out because at times it feels like everything is very compressed, and then as you like you said, a very compressed at the end. But other times it kind of feels maybe a little too drawn out. Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. So so first off, this this is like a lot. Like just yeah. just in 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 quantity, this is larger than most of the trades that we read here, uh, except for the like uh, newspaper comics, <laughs> the, which only for only. Com- I was going to say, except oh, go for ahead. the complete uh, Frank Miller Daredevil. Yeah, yeah, obviously, except yeah. for the complete Frank Miller Dare- Daredevil, which is still in Stephen's basement because we were never never able to lift <laughs> that book to get it back out. Um, and uh, and the newspaper comics, which uh, were put out. You know, once mm-hmm. daily from 1930 to 2020. Um, so, but anyway, um, I think the the story does a good way of of compressing and decompressing itself. There are times when it seems to flow pretty fast. There are times when it slows down to really explain what it wants you to know about this segment of the mystery that you're looking at. And it really is that, right? It's like um, what. Uh, what Gideon Falls wants you to to do along with it as it's telling the story is take each piece of the mystery and you know that it's related you you know trust um and 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 this doesn't let you down you trust that everything you're seeing is related to everything else that it's showing you mm-hmm. and once you start putting it together you're like oh this is this character or like or you know it just like throws you off yeah. Um and it's like, hey, uh by the way, this is uh the future or a different version of this town. And you're like, okay, well, I'm on 
I'm on board to figure out what exactly it means. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, did I, uh, I guess I haven't told you guys, but like, you, you know, w- when I read all the way through this, I was like, you know what this feels like? Mm-hmm. What's it feel? Imagine, imagine if the dark tower had like mm. a completely mm-hmm. cohesive through line. Yes. I could, I could see that very much so. Like definitely the moment where like the priest, like where the bishop falls into a different town and he's like, what happened? He's like, oh, uh, a stranger in black ran through and shut a bunch of people and then ran that way. I was like, <laughs> oh, wow. This is like, and then, you know, it's like, oh, and it's like this thing that sits on the center of all things. And it's like, yeah, this feels like, it feels like somebody read the dark tower and he's like, I can cut out like 89% of this <laughs> and, and end up with like a pretty good book. Yeah. 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 I, I like, I like that uh, analogy to the dark tower. Cause I did get some of those vibes as well. Yeah. It's uh, definitely there. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much. So what'd you guys think of the art? Because when I read the first issue back in 2018 on the Dueling Review podcast, uh, I was blown away by how the um, artist uh, uh, of of this uh, series, um, Andrea Sorrentino, Sorrentino. Uh, just amazed and blown away how she was taking actual lens concepts like a fisheye lens and yep. really using that to show you the environment that these characters were in. And then as the book starts to roll along, you start to notice symmetry between the two worlds and the use of the circles and the rays and everything to kind of connect everything together and kind of point to you and indicate well before the Gideon Falls reveal uh, appears that, yeah, the reason why there seems to be some symmetry between these two universes is because there's symmetry between these two universes. So I was really blown away by the layout and the design of how that that art looks. That being Mm -hmm. said, I'm not... I'm not a huge fan of the art that looks like I'm tracing magazine stuff or photograph stuff. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's going on here, but there's a lot of times when you're looking at these characters where it feels like, Oh yeah, I just traced the, you know, the, the outline of this character from a stills photograph and am including it here. Cause I'm, I'm not a fan of, of that. Yeah. Uh, Andrea is actually a, a man. Oh, sorry. An, an, an Italian man. But yeah, I agree that his work has like a photographic element in a way that feels, I don't want to say like a cheat. You know, it doesn't feel like we're, we're starting from it, but there are times when, you know, like if you, if you say someone like Alex Ross, Alex Ross is definitely, fo- uh, he's, he's replicating photographs. He takes pictures of people and he paints that. But it's not necessarily something where it feels like the actual photograph is the base of it so right. much as the photograph shows him this is how it would look if Guy was actually wearing a flash suit, which is one of my biggest complaints about Alex Ross is it actually looks like a fat guy wearing a flash suit. But this feels like part of the, you know, the the using actual photographs or using actual bits and pieces as, as part of a collage technique like like Kirby did in 66 where he would take cool photos and actually put them in his art mm-hmm. and draw around them or draw, you know, to them. I feel like there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't feel like, you know, Oh, well, this is just something. No, I don't think there's, to, I just don't think that but, there's anything wrong with it. I just don't yeah. care for it. 
it yeah. feels overly referenced. I feel. I, I, I think. I think the issue there is that um, the acting is actually pretty understated, mm-hmm. right? So I, I don't know if you guys remember Ex Machina, the the one where like yeah, the, guy the guy talks was... to talk, talks to machines. Yeah, uh, yeah I forget yeah. the name of the artist. Tony Harris. Uh, Tony Harris. So Tony Harris. Uh, very much uses references like that as well. Every, every it, it's kind of a joy to look at the back of a volume of Ex Machina, and and see like the references that he uses and the people that he sets up and whatever to to do something, and the acting in that. And I and I feel in in Alex Ross's work as well, um, is pretty broad, right? You have mm-hmm. characters staged like throwing their arms up in the air or like. You know, it's like if somebody is sitting, they're sitting with like their body turned and like their hand, like their elbow on the table, but they're looking back in the direction of something like a pretty dynamic, mm-hmm. like I'm looking at that thing over there thing. Kind of like so, in that it's a little bit more over exaggerated. Yeah. Yeah. So and you kind of need that. Interestingly, mm-hmm. you kind of need that when you have such realistic proportions right. to mm-hmm. everyone, because um, otherwise it does look very stiff and i can i can tell you that some of the stuff here looks stiff from panel to panel you have mm-hmm. people and their expression isn't changing very much um from panel to panel like you very rarely have characters with their mouth open unless they're like being surprised or something right mm-hmm. um so I, I, again it's like it's not bad but when you take that style that's close to photorealism and you don't exaggerate it for for a comics audience. It looks very mm-hmm. stiff and it looks very uh, static. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and and this book kind of feels that way. And like I don't I don't think that's on purpose, but it feels like the the world um, of of Gideon Falls mm-hmm. um, is. Uh, is itself moving and changing and malleable and scary and like actively doing bad stuff. And we kind of learned that that's kind of true. Um, while the characters are just kind of like, what, what, what's happening? Um, and, and there's a lot of that going on. I like, I, 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 I feel like I need to talk, we need to talk about like sort of the, 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 like the formal stuff about how this comic is like paneled. Um, which is which is super cool like at every turn uh there are like three or four or five or six or ten different devices that are sort of being used Mm -hmm. to show you that this is the past to show you that this is what a character is looking at to show you that you know it it's a static shot and characters are just there talking, but time is passing as well, mm-hmm. right? Some of my favorite stuff is like um, you have this t- picture, like tall picture of a church, right? And the characters are talking, and those characters are surrounded by a a red uh, square that is just transparent, right? It's like you can see the church past it. Nothing mm-hmm. and nothing is changing, but you can see that their conversation is sort of moving along, and it draws your attention, you know, first to the church itself, then to the then down to the characters. Um, obviously, there's a scene where like somebody sees somebody else through a mirror, uh-huh. and then like the universe breaks down in a splash panel mm-hmm. or like a, like a two page spread um, before somebody breaks that mirror, and it's like, uh, you know, it, it's it's funny that the characters are so. Um, 
so subdued because that you could I could almost see as like being perceived as like over the top as like too much, right? Yeah. Although mm-hmm. I really liked it because it it was informed by the story and it was like it had a reason to be there. Yeah, no, there's right. there's definitely pages. That's why I said I love the layouts in this. There's there's like pages where the world is being upended and the the panels start out like vertical, but as you go down the page, they turn horizontal as the action and realization of things that are that are taking place and it just feels like the entire you know, it's like a turning the comic book on its side in order to read it and you really feel like oh the whole world is changing for all these characters in here as they're making these revelations. I love it. That's why I said the, uh, and the, like I said, the use of the fisheye lens and other uh, lens techniques, fantastic in this. I just, the characters I wish were more animated. I just, I, I feel like there should be something more in there than, than yeah. what we're getting. Um, Definitely yeah. that first fisheye lens. I was like, I, I, I saw it and I was like, whoa. And then I was like, Oh, I'm gonna have to pay attention to like the formal yeah. aspects of this comic. It's just gonna make it so much. Yeah. It's gonna make it take so much longer to read. But the, it wasn't. It actually reads pretty fast. The one thing that I would say is we really appreciate everyone who uses the Amazon affiliate link to buy these uh, these comics through Comicsology, uh, the digital versions of these comics. I would say that this comic is not one to read in a digital format unless you are willing to do a double page spread on a smaller screen, because there are a lot of double page spreads in this volume that really need to be a double page spread. As Rodrigo said, the when the two characters see each other across universes and through a mirror and they start freaking out, it is a double page spread that in order to really follow what's going on. You need to see it side by side. So this may be a book that if you're interested enough in this, that you should probably get a print version rather than mm-hmm. a digital version of the comic. Although I will say that the comicsology generally will reveal a double page spread before, especially if you're using guided view, we'll show you that double page spread before it goes into the uh, single stuff. We're using a review copy that, uh, that image sent us for this. Um, yeah. And it, it's interesting to me um, that we're having this discussion with an, artist who is italian because uh in italy there is a tradition where well the comic books are actually literally referred to as fumetto or fumetti mm-hmm. uh which i think literally means puff of smoke it's the way they describe uh, word balloons but back in the 80s um marvel did a book called the marvel fumetti book and it, at that point in time a lot of times you would see fumetti in american terms used as a comic book that's actually made of photographic images. Right. So like um, a few yeah, years Star ago Trek stuff was really big. Yeah. Or even the stuff like a few years ago, Rodrigo and I did a, a retro review together of an issue of El Santo, which was right. kind of the same thing. That's literally photographs of people then actually put together as a comic book. And when you see that, that comes out of a kind of a European Italian tradition. And it does make me wonder if those types of storytelling did influence the way Sorrentino puts together his art. And, you know, cause some of the, you know, the layouts of just the way the work is being approached is just absolutely mind blowing. I would never have expected to see that. And then you do cut back because throughout the first, maybe two or three issues, uh, Norton psychiatrist, Dr. Chu keeps showing up. And partly it's because, you know, in the first few times we see her, 
she's in a professional capacity. It feels like it's the same drawing. It's like the same face over mm-hmm. and over and over. Mm-hmm. But then when weird things start happening, it's almost like she's maybe emoting more than I would have expected and kind of screaming her guts out. And I'm wondering if culturally speaking, if, you know, the idea of Fumetti's as those still images had some sort of input onto the artist's development. No idea. It, there, there's, a really good, there's a really good um, thing in the back of the book, at the end of the book, that uh, Lemire goes in and talks about his thought process and how mm. uh, Gideon Falls came to be and the Blackborn and all that stuff. It's definitely worth uh, checking out. If you're still kind of on the fence on this book, uh, there is a show on uh, Apple Plus called Shining Girls. I am only about halfway through the first season, and there are elements of it that feel very much like Gideon Falls. So if you are someone that is like, oh, man, I love Shining Girls, but you haven't read Gideon Falls, then I think you're going to find um, that you're going to like Gideon Falls very, very much. So I can't say go out and just pick up this book, uh, you know, uh, Lemire will set people off a lot differently, especially with what he was doing with animal man. Uh, and I, I think the art in here is going to set people off a, a little bit differently. So, uh, while I recommend this book and say that it is definitely worth uh, checking out, I think most of you probably want to borrow this book. That's that's my final thought on Gideon falls. I'm going to go track down the other issues. I'm sure that we have them here from image comics in our archive, so I'm going to go track down those other issues and read them. Uh, Matthew, what is your what is your final thought on Gideon Falls Volume One, The Black Barn? I definitely agree with you that I can't wholeheartedly say rush right out in a buying frenzy and not not even for, you know, a, a pejorative or a terrible reason. It really is kind of the expectation that this is not a book that's going to appeal to everybody, but it has just some really beautiful layouts. It has some weird and some unexpectedly clever bits and the story itself i i still don't feel like at this point i understand all of it so that you know that may be a selling point for you that may not but it's something that i feel like if you really want to be immersed in crazy maybe science fiction maybe metaphysics maybe just everything's all together and angels and devils and old school star trek and they're all just from another planet and uh, apparently somewhere out there, there's a planet based on 1930s Chicago. If that all appeals to you, I would definitely say check it out. But boy, I mean, I I read this and I read this and I read this and I'm just like this. This feels like work in the right way, but it does feel like work. It feels like, you know, and obviously I was reading it for work. But nonetheless, it, it's something that. I don't feel you can just take and be, hey, here's a nice casual read to kill an afternoon on a weekend. All right, Rodrigo, you get the final say this week on Gideon Falls. Uh, this book definitely won me over. The The main, like, the only real issue that I have with it is that it plays into that trope of, like, don't take your meds, um, mm-hmm. which I don't, Yeah, which I really don't like. It, it doesn't specifically do that, and it works hard to be like, well... The character who is, you know, quote unquote, crazy for seeing, you know, all this weird stuff also probably does actually have some like uh, some like actual mental issues as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, 
I can let it slide. It, it, this book really won me over. I I started out just kind of um, dreading trying to get all the way through it, and by the end, I was pretty much fully on board. So I would recommend it again. It's you know, it's violent. It's kind of gross at times. Mm-hmm. Um, there but, is some you know, visceral, not, some body humor or body horror, well, body yeah, humor too. So if if that kind of stuff doesn't bother you or if you like that kind of stuff um i would say definitely check it out at the very least borrow it or check it out from the library there you go all right thank you matthew thank you rodrigo and thank you dear listener that wraps it up for this issue if you found value in the show we'd love for you to join us over on our patreon where you can find even more fun including the major spoilers podcast pre-show where we talk stranger things we talked uh what was the other show that uh, we were talking about uh, i guess we talked a little bit obi-wan kenobi uh over there in, in the pre-show this week and go find it at patreon.com slash major spoilers next week on the show oh it's a general chat show what will we talk about well you're just going to have to come back then because we know that you love comics and we do too and we will talk with you soon fat dick's ray vision of a superman i could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand but although every other page would be backwards i suppose i could still read the evens and the odds well i don't know guess i haven't thought this all the way through plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew they kicked my butt out on the corner what a major spoiler what a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such a chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm Star Raven, it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine bee in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 